You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. It is a joy to be able to open up God's Word with you in this way. Today we are back in the Sermon on the Mount. So get your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we get to look at the oaths section. And uh, this is probably not in the highlight reel of the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, I had never heard a sermon preached on oaths. And so this is a first for me and a first for you maybe. Uh, But this is a deeply meaningful truth that we have in front of us today. And I've been so blessed even in my study this week. And so the title of our sermon is this. It's Integrity Matters to the Lord. Integrity Matters to the Lord. The title of the sermon could have said, could have been called, Mean What You Say, The Truth, The Whole Truth, Nothing But the Truth, or something as simple as just tell the truth. All of these things are kind of getting to the heart of what we're looking at today, that God cares about the integrity of his followers. So here's a question. How many of us have been on the receiving end of an unfulfilled promise? How many of us have uh, been let down by people who said they were going to do something that they didn't do? Uh, It made me think of uh, group projects in high school. How many of us remember those? Oof. There's always that one guy, right, who's like, no, 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 I'm going to do it. I'm going to do my part. And then the 11th hour comes, and you haven't heard anything, and you're like, I really hope that he delivers. And of course he doesn't. And then there's always one savior in the group, and that was never me, um, who was going to come through and just, they, you know, prepared his section or whatever. But that's a silly example, right, of someone letting you down on their word. But there are some others more serious examples. Some of us have had parents um, who never did what they said they were going to do. And we constantly felt let down because we were in an environment where people were just consistently not fulfilling their promises. This truth has devastating consequences. Our integrity matters to the Lord. And one of the things that we're seeing through the Sermon on the Mount, it's important to keep this in front of us, is we're seeing an ethic roll out of what Christians are supposed to do The truth is, things are supposed to look different in the kingdom of God. Our lives are supposed to represent who God is. Another way of saying this is our conduct is supposed to represent his character. Our conduct reflects his character. So when we see the section on do not be sinfully angry but pursue reconciliation, it's because God is a God of reconciliation. When we see the section of do not lust... But pursue purity, it's because God is a God of holiness and purity. When we see the section on marriage and divorce, our marriages, the even concept of marriage, is a reflection of God and Jesus and his relationship to the bride, his church, and how he is perfectly faithful despite our unfaithfulness. And so now we get to this section in oaths, and Jesus is saying, you need to tell the truth because I am the truth. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. Our conduct is supposed to reflect his character. You say, do you have a verse for that? Yes, I do. If you just look a few verses up in Matthew chapter 5, 16, it says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your what? Your good works. A little sleepy there. That's okay. Your good works and give glory to your Father, which is in heaven. So, if people were looking at your life this week, just this past week, 
Has your conduct reflected his character? If they took a little camera in your home, saw the way you parented, if they saw the way that you interacted with people in your workplace, does your conduct reflect his character? That's what we're pressing into this morning. So we're in Matthew chapter 5. I hope you're there. Verse 33 is where we're going to begin, and we're just going to read this section because it's nice and short. Verse 33, let's read. Jesus said, again, you have heard it said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take oaths at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head. For you cannot make one hair white or black, verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Okay. So it's nice to be walking through a series. I don't have to do a ton of context work, but I do have a few, few things to look at right now. This first thing is that this is the fourth of six passages that start with, you have heard it said, dot, 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 but I say to you. So what's important for us to understand is the Jewish people, the audience that Jesus was preaching to would have really understood that you have heard it said part. But for us, we got to do a little bit of work. And so in fact, when you see that little phrase in scripture, you have heard it said, I want a little alarm bell to go off in your mind to say, I got to learn something about the culture that I'm not currently swimming in. I need to do a little bit of work to understand this. And Jesus wasn't simply addressing um, just an old covenant law. The you have heard it said piece, we've heard this said uh, in previous sermons on this, was often addressing a pharisaical teaching that was a misrepresentation of the Old Testament law. So it wasn't just one verse being pulled out. These teachings had started to form and develop, and it was a misappropriation of the text. And so Jesus was doing some correcting here. Jesus isn't saying, hey, remember that Old Testament, forget about that. No, Jesus came not to abolish the law, right, but to fulfill the law. And so what he's, what he's saying is, this is how you need to understand this now that I'm here. And so that is what we're looking at today. And today we get to look at what oaths meant, what went wrong, and what it means for us today. Or to frame our outline, we get to look at the pattern, then we look at the problem, and then we look at Jesus's prescription for oaths. So that leads us to point number one, the pattern of oaths. Verse 33, let's read. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So Jesus is loosely referencing Leviticus chapter 19, and we're going to get there in just a second. But one of the things we have to ask ourselves, and I have to ask myself, is like, what is an oath? What, what does it mean when you see language like not to swear, or we see the word vow, or oath? Like these things have a meaning that is not native to us, and so these are all communicating the idea of some sort of formal promise or solemn agreement. The commentator R.T. France, he says it this way, an oath, oaths are an invocation of God or some sacred object to undergird a statement or promise. And a vow, vows are a solemn promise to God of an action to be performed. Okay, we're getting clearer here. So oaths were an, a way of escalating the severity of a promise by which people would swear by the name of the Lord. 
What's important to understand in this, too, is that these aren't necessarily wrong. Um, In fact, oaths were sometimes commanded by God. In Exodus chapter 22, it says, If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep, and it dies or is injured or driven away without anyone seeing it, look, an oath by the Lord shall be between them. And then at the end, the owner shall accept the oath. So oaths were sometimes commanded for God's people. Some oaths, on the other hand, were more voluntary and were more general in their application by which they would swear by the name of the Lord. Deuteronomy 6.13 says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Okay? So the goal of these oaths or vows was to motivate people to keep their word when they were tempted not to. That was the goal. It was a tool of God. One more verse in Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord, dot, 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 he shall keep his word. Oaths were a tool by God used to promote truthfulness in the community of God. They were used to promote truthfulness. And well, why did they do that? Well, when you're making an oath, they were inviting God to be witness to what was taking place. They were inviting God and saying, God, you are witness to the promises we are making, and we, if we break our promise, we're inviting you to be the judge and the avenger, that you can strike me down. That's literally what they were getting at, that God was witness to what was going on. So here's a principle for us. How might our lives change? How much would our sin be lessened if we lived in such a way where we believe that God was witness to all of life all the time? Like, how might your life change? How might my, my, my life change if Jesus was walking through life beside me? I think for many of us, we have so compartmentalized our faith and our life that there are spheres where we do not even acknowledge that God is with us. Like, for sure he's here, right? Like, we're in a church building. God is here. God is present in my home when I open the word and do family devotions, but... What about at the workplace? What about when I get on a plane and travel somewhere else where no one sees me or knows me? God is witness to all of life all the time. And if we took that seriously, it would change the way that we lived. Like, God is present with you when you are in your car. Some of you have a Jesus fish on the back, and that's not helping anybody. God sees even in those moments. What about in those spicy parenting moments in your home? God is with you. God is present. He sees. In the workplace, God is with you when you do your taxes. Right? God is with you when you are alone at night in your bedroom and you think nobody is watching. God is with you. Here's two verses for us. First one is this, Proverbs 5.21. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his past. Let's just stay here for a second. A man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord all the time. Next one, Hebrews 4. And no creature is hidden from his sight. Look at this. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Let that sink in. Naked and exposed 
to the eyes of him. Not only does he see, like we're given an account to him. He sees all. Who's this for right now? There are some of us in this room right now who are living a life where we think nobody is watching and we found ourselves in a time of habitual sin. There's no repentance. You think no one knows. You are naked and exposed before the eyes of the Lord to whom you must give an account. God is witness to all of life all the time. And so when an oath was used, it was reminding people of the spiritual reality that was just as true then as is true now. God is witness. So these oaths were intended to restrain lying and to promote truthfulness in the Israelite community because it was a reflection of who God is. God is truth, and therefore his people must be truthful. And when his people lived like this, it led to a life of human flourishing. More on that later. This is a big deal. God cares about the integrity of his people. Oaths were a tool by God to promote truthfulness, but... Surprise, surprise, sin ruins everything. Sin ruins, and we ruin everything. Number two, the problem with oaths. The problem with oaths. So oaths were a tool, but they were supposed to be used sparingly and narrowly. But the Jewish people began to swear about everything and, any, and anything, and that would dilute the meaning and purpose of the oaths. Not only that, a practice started developing by the Pharisees, where they would find loopholes for themselves by providing these lists of things you could swear by that were binding and some that you could swear by that were not binding. And they used this as a way to exploit the people. So this is a little confusing. So Daniel Doriani, he's a commentator. He says it this way. This is helpful. If one swore by Jerusalem, it was not binding. But if one swore toward Jerusalem, it was binding. If one swore by the temple, not binding. If one swore by the temple's gold, it was binding. If one swore by the altar of sacrifice, not binding. But if one swore by the gift on the altar, it was. Like, this is madness. It's madness. This is like um, the equivalent of, uh, let's say I have a friend named Joe who lends me a drill. And Joe, uh, Joe comes up to me and says, hey man, can uh, you remember to bring my drill back? It's been a few weeks. I'm like, oh yes, I'll bring it back tomorrow, I promise. Well, the next day, Joe comes up to me. He's like, hey, man, where's my drill? I'm like, ah, I forgot it. And he goes, but you promised. I'm like, yeah, I didn't pinky promise. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you got me. Like, this is, that's crazy. That's, cra that's what's happening, though. And we do this. How many times have we used the, the, the phrase, well, that's not technically what I said, right? There's these loopholes that were being created that was leading to deceit in the community of God. They were not operating with integrity. And then you add on top the layer of the leadership exploiting the people, and you can see how this could have some serious consequences. God's covenant community was becoming filled with deceit and disregard for his name. And he's saying, I don't want any of this. Nice little summary of what was taking place on the screen here for us. It started with a distortion of the teaching. They distorted the teaching of what oaths were intended to do, which led to deception of the people they were supposed to be leading. The distortion led to the deception, which led to the destruction of the holiness of their community. 
things started to go really badly, but most importantly, it led to this, desecrating the name of God. God's name was being misrepresented, and so Leviticus chapter 19, to which Jesus is referring to, says this, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. They were profaning the name of God. They were misrepresenting him. They were taking the Lord's name in vain. Now, for some of us, we think that just means flippant profanity of OMG. And while we need to have reverence and respect for the name of God, taking the Lord's name in vain is so much more than that. Peter Gentry is another commentator. He says it this way. The name of God represents and sums up his entire character and person. To use that name brings his person and his power into a particular situation. And when we use his name for something that is contrary to who he is, contrary to his character, look, we lift it up to a lie. That is taking the Lord's name in vain. And so hear me, we bear the name of Christ. Like it's in the name Christian. It's the first part. We bear the name of Christ. How are we representing him? Are we living a life of integrity that honors his name or that profanes his name? Are you helping or are you hurting his name? This made me think of, uh, a, again, a bit of a silly example, but I think it illustrates the point. I, uh, I went to school uh, at Liberty University down in, in Virginia, and I was part of a, of a band, a team that did some music. I don't even think you could call us a band. Um, there's a picture on the screen, I think, of this. This is 11 years ago. There's baby Brandon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we got to, uh, we had the opportunity to kind of travel in the southern U.S., and we'd go church to church to church, and we would lead worship and talk about liberty, and it was, you know, a lot of fun. There was eight college guys, and so they gave us this vehicle, and this vehicle was decked out with liberty branding, like L-U, L-U, like it was everywhere, and uh, I don't know if you could imagine this, but when you put eight unsupervised college guys in a van and send them across the country, it's not always good, you know? And so one time in particular, we were driving down the highway in our Liberty van. And just one thing too, like Liberty has a reputation of its own and a lot of people don't like it in the U.S. And so we, anyways, lots of things happened. But one time we were driving a little too fast down the highway and we saw some lights and sirens. And so we had to pull over the vehicle. And in that moment, you just see this van and then a cop car behind us. Ironically, we were paid by recruitment. I don't think we were recruiting anybody well in that moment because we were misrepresenting the name of liberty. That was not helpful to anybody. But we are branded with God's name. How much more seriously do we need to take our conduct when we understand that we reflect his name? Our integrity is essential to represent him in the way that he deserves to be represented. And so his covenant community, the Jewish people, the Israelite community, were profaning the name of God through their flippant use of oaths. It got so serious, if you flip over to Matthew chapter 23, Jesus, there's a section where Jesus is pronouncing woes upon the Pharisees for this very thing. He calls them blind guides. 
because you swear by this and by that. They were misrepresenting God's name. And Jesus is saying, I've had enough. And so now we get to point three, the prescription of oaths. Verse 34, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. So look up here. Jesus is seeing all of the destruction in his covenant community. He's saying, I've had enough. I've had enough with the deception. I've had enough with the lies. I've had enough with the loopholes. And he takes a stick of dynamite and he blows up all of these technicalities. He's saying, I've had enough of these pinky promises, these cross my heart, hope to die. I swear by this, I swear by that. I've had enough. I don't want any of these oaths taking place because they misrepresent me. And then he goes through this list. He's saying, you swear by all of these things because you think you're getting away with something, but all of these things represent me. You swear by heaven, but that's my throne. You swear by earth, but that's my footstool. You swear by Jerusalem, but that's the city in which I'm the king. You swear by your own head, but you bear my image. Not only that, what control do you have over when you live or die? All of it represents him. It's all the Lord's. So Jesus is saying, you don't get to use all these things and then go and tell a lie. Because God is only truthful. God always fulfills his promises. It's who he is. So Jesus says, cut it out. I've had enough with these flippant oaths. And how about instead you operate with some integrity. You operate with integrity. Verse 37, let's look down again. Instead, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. If you were with us in our James series, you saw a very, very similar verse. It says, but above all brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth, or any other oath, let your yes be your yes, your no be your no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. What Jesus wants here is a plain truthfulness. Like, tell the truth. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. And again, to press this a little further, like, he's talking about more than just the literal words yes and no, right? He's talking about a matter of integrity. What he's looking for is someone who says, I will do what I say I'm going to do. And I'm not going to do the things that I say I'm not going to do. I want someone who will not exaggerate the details in a way that makes them look good. I will not commit to things for the sake of people pleasing that I have no intention of following through on. I will not behave one way here and another way here. Hear this, there will be a consistency in my conduct that results in my word meaning something. That's what Jesus desires, a consistency in our character so that when we say we're going to do something, people go, he's going to do it. His word has weight to it. Warren Wearsby says it this way, the more words a man uses to convince us, the more suspicious we should be. That's good. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Apart 
from complete truthfulness, anything other than complete, plain truthfulness, Jesus is saying, is from, from evil. Now, just one word on this, too. This isn't talking about not being able to take an oath in a courtroom. There's been some teaching on this that is less than helpful, or you can't have a contract or make promises. It's talking about exploiting those things in a way that it violates your word. Jesus wants complete truthfulness in all areas of life. It, it, it is that simple. But remember, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? We don't just will truthfulness into existence. They flow from something. So our behavior flows from our beliefs. And so we need to believe a few things in our heart in order for this to be what flows out. Here's just a few things. You could, you could put many things in this list. Here's just four that we've already talked about. One, I must believe that God is witness to all of life all the time. God is always watching. He sees everything. Number two, we must believe that we bear the name of Christ. Number three, we must care about God's name and what he thinks of us. And number four, we must believe that Christ is most glorified when we operate in integrity and truthfulness. And so in a desire to worship him, my conduct is that of integrity. These things flow out of a heart that is believing true things about God. When we apply this and, 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 and we live this out, like this will have radical impact on your life. Like, think about what it might do for a family for mom and dad's yes or no to mean something. Like, when dad says no, he means no. When dad says he's going to be there, he's going to be there. How might an employer react to a person who is working with total integrity? I know when I give this person something and they say they're going to do it, it gets done. Like, your life at some level will flourish because these things are a reflection of who God is. This will change. A marriage, when there's complete truthfulness within a husband and a wife, we're not posturing, we're not playing games. Our words have weight. We are telling the truth to one another. This leads to human flourishing. So like I'm saying, this is not hard to understand. This is a very plain message, but this is hard to apply. In fact, there are, I believe, thousands of opportunities every single day where we have the choice to either live a life of integrity or to violate that. Like, there's so many situations where we're just confronted. Do I tell the truth or do I lie? Sometimes the truth looks like lovingly correcting a spouse. Sometimes the truth looks like humbly confessing to a spouse. Sometimes the truth looks like standing for what is right at school when it's really hard. Students in the room, like, I don't envy your position, like, it's difficult out there. Are you someone who's going to be a person of integrity and tell the truth when it's hard? Sometimes telling the truth looks like not passively agreeing in a social setting when you know it offends God. Sometimes telling the truth looks like being a businessman or woman who stands for what is right when the entire boardroom is against you. These things are not easy. Like, I, I do not pretend for a second for that to be easy. 
But my prayer is even this week that as you're walking about your life and you're confronted with these opportunities that you would just pause and say, wait, am I going to live for the Lord or not? Am I going to be a person of integrity? This is hard. But we desire to be like Jesus, who was full of grace and truth. Now, some of us are truth tellers in the room and you're like, this is my sermon. Like, I get to tell the truth. Remember the first part. Jesus is full of grace. Full of grace. Grace and truth. But we must be people of integrity. And so to land the plane here, what we're going to do is I'm going to ask four questions that I pray will help us just start to think rightly and apply these things in a way that is fruitful in our lives. And so here's four questions to help us consider these things. Number one, are there any areas in your life where you are not being entirely truthful? Even, let's pray, Holy Spirit, would you help us be able to answer these questions with truth and honesty? Number two, do I honor my commitments? I was thinking about this uh, for our young people. Um, There used to be a thing called uh, FOMO, fear of missing out. And now there's a thing called FOBO, fear of better offer. Some of our young people, you you are so hesitant to follow through with your commitments because you are always looking for the next thing. That will have devastating consequences on the name of God. Do you honor your commitments? Number three, are there areas in my life where my integrity has been compromised? We're broadening the umbrella a little bit. But just take an inventory. Are there areas in my life where my integrity is being compromised? Those things you think no one will know. Number four, is my conduct reflecting the character of God in all areas? I mean, at some level, right, like we all have to say no to that question. There's always moments where we have not lived the way we ought to. And so I'm praying even just as we widen the scope that the Holy Spirit would be impressing something specific on our hearts that we need to deal with. Remember that passage in Hebrews 4, all are naked and exposed before the eyes of the Lord to whom we must give an account. Some of us right now, we are feeling a sense of conviction. We, we know exactly what we need to do. The Holy Spirit has made it clear And the answer for us is to repent, to repent and say, Lord, I need to be a person of integrity. I desire to live a life that is honoring to you, that represents you well, that bears your name in a way that you would be proud of. That's what we need to get to. Some of us in this room, however, are, um, we don't have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, and we are not living a life of integrity. In fact, We've propped up our life with so many lies, we don't know which way is up. And you're feeling life squeeze in on you. And you're saying, that's me. Like, I, I, my life is riddled with deception and lies. No one knows the truth, but I do, and it's eating me up inside. And you're feeling at some level the conviction of the Spirit upon you. And to you, I say, the answer from this is not to just say, I'm going to turn the light switch on and start telling the truth all of a sudden. You cannot do that. We've just heard this. It has to flow out of what we believe. And so the answer for you is to repent of your sin and place your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And then get this, there's a 
a name for the Holy Spirit called the Spirit of Truth. And the Holy Spirit of Truth will come and he will fill you, he will save you, he will empower you. And then the outflow of your heart will come. Integrity and truthfulness. If that is where you are at, I pray you have some conversations and you come forward, we'd love to talk to you. Repent of your sin, place your faith and trust in Jesus. The spirit of truth will lead you. My prayer today for all of us is that we would leave with a greater conviction that our conduct must reflect his character. And when that happens, Christ is magnified in and through our lives. Let's pray together. So Holy Spirit, you're working, I believe. You are impressing upon us the areas where we need to change, where we need to submit under your word, where we need to take some steps to live a life of integrity, to have a life that honors you. At the end of the day, Lord, I believe for every believer in this room, our desire is that you would be exalted, you'd be magnified and glorified by the way that we live our lives. That it wouldn't just be lip service, but that there would be a consistency in our character. That when people looked at us, they would know that person is different. And the reason is because they love Jesus. And that they would see the fruit of righteousness springing up all around us. And so even right now, would you just lead us? Would you promote a Christ-likeness within us? Even as we sing this last song, I pray that this is a prayer from our hearts, an invitation for you to be glorified and magnified from my life. We love you and we invite you to continue to work in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.